Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Flummer Building. As you'll now be spending your workday here, it is important that you learn a bit about the history of this famous floor. Welcome to Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, the daily podcast in which we hump and gyrate our way through the film Being John Malkovich, one minute at a time. I am your host, Austin Pryor, about to be joined once again by Ben Bostock. I'm here again, and uh, you may have heard someone laughing at, at your intro just then. It wasn't me, that was someone else. Okay, yeah, that was one of the, one of the many um, elderly patrons inside this strange <laughs> other world. There's too many people in my head, and I think that's, that's the problem caused yeah. by this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so today, we tackle Minute 7 of Being John Malkovich. Minute 7 starts with Craig's concentration face and ends one minute later with the New York Daily News being slapped down on the table with a great sense of purpose. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot to unpack in this one, isn't there? I think there's a lot. Yeah. Because this is obviously the part, it sort of starts in the in the previous minute doing, um, I'm going to make a crack at pronouncing this right, Abelair and Eloise? That'll do. That'll, that'll be fine. Um, and uh, it sort of starts off in the previous minute, but in this one is when it starts to get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more X-rated, shall we say? A little bit more yeah. erotically charged. And this obviously causes um, the little girl's parent. The little girl has been observing this. Her parent gets understandably quite upset at this and goes to punch Craig in the face. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, like, you, you can see where <laughs> if, if a parent saw their child watching something like that, they'd be understandably quite upset and, uh, you know, angry. But I think uh-huh. it's not, it's that, and obviously this is, it's never implied otherwise in the film, but I always get the sense that sort of, um, Craig's not really aware that he's doing something. He's he's showing something that might be inappropriate because we'll talk in the previous minute about how he's becoming so he's the performer and the audience. He's built both creating his world and becoming lost in his own world. Absolutely, and I think that it's, he he it's, is not aware of the child's presence at all. No, no, he doesn't really no. care that the child's watching. He yeah. probably doesn't even notice that. The and a street watching. puppeteer would be expected to play up to a child who is taking an interest in in what they're doing you know what i mean they would be you would be expected to uh like oh here's the kid and the puppets will go over close to the kid or uh point at the kid or some to do some bit of business yeah no he's like his art (laughs) both because he is so exacting and uh high-minded about his art and what he's doing yeah but also because he's so uh into the technical side of the craft he's really concentrating so uh perfectly that he's just not aware of his surroundings it's it it sort of ties into something that that got got me thinking when i watched the film that sort of line between popular art and you know so-called real art like Mm -hmm. you you mentioned then that you know a, a street puppeteer worth his salt would like you say sort of like Ham it up and yeah, uh, you know, play, play to the, the audience and and get the kid laughing or whatever. But yeah. he's he's that's not what he does. He's 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 in his head. He's an artist. He is. This is not frivolity. This is very, uh, in very his head work. and in yeah. fairness, in reality, because what he's doing is incredibly it, intricate and you know, yeah. beautifully done. I mean, it's it's ridiculous <laughs> the, the, the context, <laughs> but it yeah. is uh, definitely art. You know what I mean? This performance. It, it's. It reminds. It actually reminds me a lot of one of my other favorite films, and one that I nearly did a minute podcast on. Oh yeah, uh, the, the, probably already is one. But one of my favorite films is uh, Barton Think. Yeah, Coen Brothers. yeah, great. 
There's very few movies by minute uh, for for Coen Brothers movies. I mean, the very first movies by minute was, of course, Gutter Balls, which was uh, a, a minute by minute of uh, Big Lebowski. I was just about to ask. There's definitely going to be one on Lebowski, isn't there? I mean, that's been talked to death. That was the first one. But, but yeah, the rest of their oeuvre has not really been tackled. And that was one of the one of the thoughts I had was that I was going to do oh. the whole Coen Brothers thing as a movies by minute. But that would just be... I, well, I would have had when, to kind of commit to the first nine movies, which are my kind of... <laughs> that's the first the first movement, we'll say, of the yeah. Coen Brothers. The yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's insane <laughs> to commit to that. I'll make a that. note of <laughs> I'll make a note of Barton Fink when the train's pointing on inevitably... Uh, crashing yeah. the burns. But um the uh yeah but and it's another thing that that film uh shares with this film is the they have the same composer, Carter Carter Burwell. Well yes, who's done virtually all the Cohen's films, I believe. Yes, uh he's and, done and, and, and all of Spike Jones virtually as well. Uh, yeah, he's and, and he's got that sort of um I know I know I know this minute doesn't really um probably not, not the best one to concentrate on the music, but it it's got that sort of it's almost like this hypnotic way the strings kind of pull down and back up again. And it sort of invites you into this, whatever world the film is trying to create. Yeah. Barton Fink is obviously takes place in a world that's somewhere between reality and fantasy. Mm-hmm. Rather like this one is going to eventually find itself in, even though I think we're probably at that point now. The reason I mentioned Barton Fink is because in that film, um, you know, Barton sees himself as a serious New York playwright writing about oh, social yeah. issues. When it really, all he has to do is write a, a, a cornball B movie wrestling picture, and he'd be mm-hmm. fine. It's sort of like how probably you know Craig could probably find maybe not international world success, but a modicum of success if he was more populist, if he sort of hammed it up. And but that's not what he wants if to. He do. was a gimmicky bastard, exactly. But and and like I say, that's one of the f- the few traits at this point to to admire about his character is that he want he does want to be famous and successful and rich, but he wants to do it on. His his own ter- at least at this point in the film he wants to do it on his own terms. Yes. Late, yeah. Later on, of course, he'll he'll do it on someone else's, <laughs> literally someone else's terms. And uh, yeah, it's 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 good um, it's good acting as well from, from the little girl. She does a she does a good job of sort of she's not like disgusted by it. She doesn't really know what she's looking at, but yeah. just sort of like it's just quizzical. It's not really. Yeah, she's it's not really doing anything for her she doesn't know what's happening obviously yeah but um but then the, the dad sees it yeah and uh gives him probably the first of many deserved pains that craig will get throughout the film funny you should mention that the first of many because in earlier versions of the script there were yeah there were more punches so as i mentioned yesterday the original version that was shot of this scene was um you know yeah. he was doing like a mime artist shtick where he was making the marionette copy people's movements but in the very first draft things are pretty mad and uh I, I'll, I'll just take you on a little journey now through that so okay. <laughs> i have the first draft of the script here in front of me and um this section is long so i'm kind of summarize it here so there's this sequence instead of one scene there's this whole sequence which kind of mixes in with the checking the newspaper for the classifieds and stuff as well from the from the upcoming minute yeah the first classified ad he sees is for a female puppeteer to teach at a girl's school and so then it has like craig kind of standing up with great purpose and music kicks in 
And it's this musical montage of Craig, you know, waxing his body and shaving and <laughs> picking out Lottie's oh, dresses and putting on his makeup and taking on a complete female persona and going out and getting <laughs> ogled by the men on the street as he tries to get a taxi. Being John Doubtfire. And and then he um, just sees scenes of him talking to the headmistress of a girl's school and he's being very charming. And then he's like drawing complicated diagrams of uh, marionette on the board for the girls in the class. And he's reaching all the girls, but there's one troubled girl in the back. And then, you know, we cut to that girl, you know, holding a marionette for the first time and seeing the kind of magic in her eyes as it all opens up. We get the sense the time is going by and that he's doing this job for a while. And then he's on this like ridiculously he's on this cycling trip with the girls and they notice he's on a man's bike and then it cuts to him in a prison cell with the makeup all smeared from his face and Lottie has to go and bail him out and uh, you know then she's just like why did you do this and he says I'm a puppeteer (laughs) there's more he goes looking for ads again and he, he sees um, African-American lesbian separatist puppeteer wanted for community oh, outreach. So now he's in oh, blackface and cross-dressed. <laughs> and and oh, uh, basically, it co- and so this, this montage is shorter now where, where he just goes, he's, he goes out, hails a taxi, and then it cuts to him in the cell <laughs> being bailed out quickly. And then and he's like all bruised. She asks him why again. And he says, I'm a puppeteer. I'm a puppeteer. <laughs> and then he goes back to the classifieds, adds again, female puppeteer wanted for nudist colony marionette staging of Oh Calcutta. Um, <laughs> and so now it, and then it just cuts from there to him in the car with Lottie being taken home from prison once again, from jail once again. And she doesn't even ask him. She This time she just says, you know, maybe you should speak to someone about this. <laughs> and, That's bonkers. And the last step, there is like, there's even a tag to that gag. He goes back one more time. And he sees the classified ad. Male puppeteer looking for attractive female puppeteer for friendship, travel, and much, much more. <laughs> Craig rubs his chin, then thinks better of it. So, um, yeah, so he he uh, he doesn't go for it that time. But that's where the punching came from, and he not only got punched but put in uh, put in prison. Put in prison, and probably yeah. punched multiple times while mm, in that mm. in that whole process. That is yeah. great. That could be its own film. It, yeah yeah it's its own it's it's yeah. it's a whole it's a whole sequence and like the i think that's the biggest departure in the first two-thirds of the script i think yeah. from the way it is in the film but there's lots of tidbits like that all the way through that are just fun diversions from because the movie wasn't really written as a movie first the script was written as a spec script to kind of show off the writing talent uh, right. of kaufman and he wanted to kind of shop the script around without really the intention of getting the film made uh, so much as getting making a name for himself, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely has that impression of just like, just like, not, I, like when I say this, I don't mean like, when I say it's got that, ah, oh, fuck it vibe, I don't mean in the sense that he wasn't trying, I mean just in the sense of like, it's just like, what is the most, like, maddest, yeah. probably most unproducible thing <laughs> we can think of? Let's make that. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I know that there probably wasn't a lot of um, like studio interference or notes on this film, but I can just picture them. I can picture like <laughs> someone at Universal or whoever reading the first draft of that and going, "Yeah, we really like it." You know the bit where John Cusack blacks up and drags up. Yeah, <laughs> we might want to have a meeting about that bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that could be like its own like. I can imagine that as like a quirky sort of short. <laughs> or a, yeah, or a sketch. Yeah, yeah, that you'd like that would that would play it at Cannes to people with beards. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, I like that. I, I can I can probably see why it was cut. I imagine like yeah, even if that was in the film, it probably would have added a good chunk to the runtime. I suspect. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would. It probably took longer to describe than it would have taken <laughs> on screen because that, it's just so. That could you know. be a good plot for like a music video. Speaking of Spike Jones. Oh yeah, 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 I could see that working. Yeah, for like the, the, the Beastie Boys dressing up. Uh, problematic to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I really liked that. I didn't I didn't I didn't know about that. But uh, I kind of like at the same time as well. I think the sort of um, the bluntness of what we get in the final film, cutting from the punch to oh, yeah. him having the the I'm a puppeteer exchange with Lottie, that 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 in itself. Is is just as good as as co- at conveying the point of the sort of this part of the film, which is he is you know he is someone who is dedicated to the point of basically almost insanity yeah. to a degree to the point of <laughs> yeah. basically willing to make an absolute ass of himself in front of strangers. If I remember correctly, when he punches him, the cut from that to him going to see Lottie is very quick and very abrupt. very quick, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and that's it's 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 that great comedy timing edit. It's perfect as well because if we'd have lingered on the punch, it probably would have stopped being funny. It would have become unpleasant and Too violent. Real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you just like, I can't remember who said this. I think it might have been someone in Monty Python, maybe, or yeah. someone who said who said something to the effect of, "The further away something nasty is happening, the funnier it is." So yes. like if you see if you've got an extreme close up of someone punching and you can see their blood spurting out and their bones breaking, it's just unpleasant and nasty. But mm. if if it was like a very, very long shot of someone like yeah. on a bike and they trip over. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Because um, I, I can already just, see it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's it's that sense of like I think I believe the punch is done in quite a wide a, a wide shot as well. It is, it is, yeah. yeah. We see uh we've we've obviously seen it before in the film, but I was wanting to talk about Cameron Diaz as Lottie. Yes. Uh, who is, I mean, not not that I didn't think she wouldn't be, but she's so great in this film. She's amazing, yeah. She really is. She just, she she perfectly conveys that wide-eyed, sort of naive, almost like hippie sort of mentality that she has, basically. Yeah. And she's got the job that fits that, of course. She works with, with, with animals. With animals. I read something that said, um, it might, might, maybe it's a little sort of... Um, a little sexist, but I think it kind of works. Basically, they said that Cameron Diaz in this film is a gorgeous woman playing cute, and uh, Catherine Keener is cute playing gorgeous. Right, interesting. Yeah. Maybe that's a little bit of a blokey assessment, but I think in its own way that, that does kind of... I can see that working because when Cameron Diaz is in films, she's always, you know, the gorgeous femme fatale. Yeah, her... her you know. She's not glamorised here. Her looks are downplayed. But I think Catherine Keener's appeal is, you know, obviously she's a, a good-looking woman and everything. But oh, sure, it's yeah. It's her character has this 
mystique and this uh i don't know what it is about you this is your energy or you know <laughs> he's totally right though like she's, just, yeah it's and a, she's it's perfect casting because yeah her power over him isn't the simple power of beauty you know um <clears throat> Lots of women are beautiful. So, yeah, it works that that there is something kind of unnameable or, or uh, ineffable about uh, Maxine and what kind yeah. of power she has over him. Exactly. And I mean, like, um, Lottie especially just, just, break, just breaks your heart in this. Just She goes through such a... All the characters go through such a head-fucky ordeal, including especially John Malkovich. But yeah. I feel like Lot, <laughs> yeah. Lot, Lottie goes through so much. I mean, she gets... She she ends up like falling in love with a, another woman when she didn't know she was a lesbian. She gets locked in a cage by her boyfriend by her husband. Yeah, you know she um she goes on she she ends up befriending this weird head head fucky cult near the end. Yeah. you know it's just she goes on she goes on such a journey. And I think that um I know jumping way to the end, but I think she comes out. That's she, fine. she definitely has I think the most interesting. Arc, arc, the most interesting yeah. journey of all the sort of characters in the film. She doesn't come out better, but I think she comes out stronger. Yeah, in, in a sense, yeah. um, she she's not so much of a. But in, in these first few moments of the film, she's a bit of a. She, like I say, she's a she's a she's very passive. She's not very sort yes. of. Um, she she kind of, she sort of gently nudges Craig to you know do something with his life that's not just getting punished in the street, but. Yeah. Um, she, but she, she's sort of not very assertive about it. It's just a, she's a gentle sort of, you know. Wouldn't it be good if you know? Mm. And um, and I like how that uh, when he comes in with the um, bruise from the punch, and yeah, it's there's something in the tone that suggests, and this goes back to the the deleted sort of sequence that you were detailing before that this has happened yeah. uh, many times, many many. Times. Oh, I think she actually says not again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And that's when, of course, he says the line, "I'm a puppeteer." Yeah, which yeah. in his in his in his mind, those three words just could justify any number of <laughs> atrocities, yeah, a... including mental takeover of a total stranger. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a perfectly logical connection in his mind between the words "I'm a puppeteer" and yeah why I got punched in the face. You know what I mean? You could substitute it for any sort of creative field, couldn't you? And it would still work on that, on yeah, that same level. Yeah. So like, I'm a musician, I'm a writer, yeah. I'm a mime. <laughs> you know, any, yeah. any, anything that you tell yourself to get through those um, dark moments where maybe you should have exercised some better judgment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so where can people find you and what would you like to point them towards? People can find me on the streets. No, um, <laughs> they can find me at um, Train Spotting Minute by Minute on Twitter. It's called at By Train Spotting. Um, don't ask me why. That's just what Twitter <laughs> decided to call it. And um, it's me and um, this lovely gentleman here, Austin, on one episode, and occasionally others. <laughs> and uh, it's it's obviously the same. Well, you all know how Minute by Minute works. You're all grown up now. It's like that, but with Train Spotting. <laughs> and no trains. No, no, no trains. Not like, uh, not like we've got before. <laughs> All right. Will you be able to come back tomorrow? Um, I, I think I can find time in my incredibly busy schedule. Yes. Good stuff. Once you get uh, pushed out here, you'll have a chance to clean up. Hopefully, depending on where you okay. end up. Okay. Just, don't, just, don't, just don't make it so like aggressive and nasty. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, folks, I'm sure there'll be more from Ben tomorrow, but for now, I'm going to give you another slice of my interview with puppeteer Philip Huber. We'll be talking about minutes six and seven today, the whole Abelard and Eloise scene. But after this, you won't be hearing from Philip for a little while because there are no more puppet minutes in the film until minute 25, uh, which is a few weeks away for us. So while you can, please enjoy some more Philip Huber. So we come to minute six, Abelard and Heloise. You're making this two weeks after you've done other scenes, which is already over six months after principal photography. And you get this call. That must have been a surprise, first of all. It was. Um, I didn't know that they were even thinking about changing what they had done, but they had tested the film with a test audience. And the problem was that, that the puppeteers who had worked on the film before me, uh, their work was in there and they were trying to mix my work with their work. And evidently, mm -hmm. it became pretty evident to people watching the film that there was two different qualities of movement yes. going on. And so the, the comment that I heard that somebody told me later was from the test audience. They were confused because it seemed that uh, Craig Schwartz was a, an excellent puppeteer right at the beginning when he was doing Dance of Despair and Disillusionment. And then suddenly he became a different kind of puppeteer when he was working on the street and very diplomatic philip and so they they just didn't understand what was going on yeah and uh, that that was the the push for them to change the street scene the street scene before had been that craig schwartz was like a, a mime artist he was walking along right. with the puppet and he was imitating people on the street yes i've read that version in the script yeah he was imitating them uh, with their walks and their little peculiarities and something. And they would turn around and one person got so upset, they punched him. And so I that's see. what would lead up to the punch. Very good. So that's why the pet shop scene would still fit. I'm a puppeteer and yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting because the Heloise and Avalard scene is now my favorite, simply because I was so comfortable with the puppets at that mm. point. And... And I had worked with them so much. And also, I was in all aspects of that. I had worked with the choreographer on the movement. And I had worked with the costumer to make sure the costumes that were in that scene uh, were correct so they didn't interfere with the movement of the puppet. Everything is so important with a marionette. Uh, you can get a beautiful marionette that operates really well. And then you can put a costume on it and destroy it because the costume yes. restricts the movement. So all of those things were important to me. And here for Heloise and Abelard, it all came together for the first time. Uh, the difficulty for me was that it was it was kind of a, a sexual scene. <laughs> and yeah. I wasn't very comfortable with that right at that point. It, it made me uncomfortable trying to do that. And uh, so I just had to let go of my own inhibitions when I was working on it and and spike yeah. even he i don't know if he did this on purpose but he just had me improvise a lot of things with that scene <laughs> that, that got pretty pretty raw and and i thought oh geez i don't know what i've just done and uh, but he was 
he was very judicial in in what he he chose. A very very careful with it, and I, I thought right. the finished scene was gorgeous. And I felt Great. for the first time I could really look at the puppets and I could tell what their thought process was. And yeah. that is my litmus test of of good puppetry. Wow. Yeah, I'm fascinated to hear you saying it was your favorite scene. It's very much a comedy scene, and it's kind of preposterous how far these puppets are going. But you really had to play it straight because you're playing Craig Schwartz in that scene. Yes. You have to be the best puppeteer. And if you, as a performer, play it for laughs and kind of just do some kind of gyration that's kind of, you know, lewd and not very technical, then the illusion collapses. The story doesn't work. So you have to be dead straight completely, like, oh, yeah. believe the reality of these characters. You have to be totally invested in it. That was the thing. I, yeah. I had to be totally invested in these characters. So I was, I was very serious with them. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So in this scene, I've become aware in my research that although it's Lottie's voice on the tape, that that's the Maxine puppet, which I never noticed before. Why is it the Maxine puppet? Well, they had the Maxine puppet built, so I guess they decided that. What people don't realize is that, of course, he was doing Maxine before he had even met her. Yeah. So the timeline of the film is thrown off and they added another little scene where you see him redoing her, creating her in the nun costume. So but oh. <laughs> still it doesn't it doesn't work uh for the timeline of the film, but it, it's it's amazing well, that people don't really think about that. <laughs> it worked on me because I just saw a woman with brown hair. We hadn't gotten to Catherine Keener's scenes yet. Yes. And I heard Cameron Diaz's voice, which sold it for me. And I've seen the film, I don't know how many times. And when I first read a mention of, oh, they used the Maxine puppet before he's met Maxine. I was like, no, they didn't. That's the Lottie <laughs> puppet in the start of it. I completely believed it. And. My interpretation of that later minute, which we'll get to, is that he's making this new Maxine puppet now from scratch, which makes much more sense and is going to remain my headcanon version of the film. Yeah, and, and the Lottie puppet is hanging on the wall, not in use at that point. Yeah, of course. She's, she's rejected. <laughs> yeah, and so did the Lottie puppet not exist at that point? or No, it must have because that stuff was shot earlier. It did exist, but it was never made to be a true marionette. There it, we go. It has a very, very simplified body and it doesn't move. Mm. It was just made to hang on a wall. Yeah. And incidentally, okay. as a side note, I deli uh, um, Charlie Kaufman wanted the Lottie puppet as a souvenir of the film. Yeah. And he lived only a few blocks from me in Pasadena, California at that time. Yeah. So Spike asked me to prepare the puppet and send it to Charlie Kaufman to deliver it to him. And yeah. I was so looking forward to doing this because I had never had the opportunity to meet Charlie. To meet him, yeah. And I wanted to talk to him so badly about all the things that he put into the film. Yeah. But anyway, I, I prepared the puppet. I cleaned her all up and made sure she was in good shape and all ready to go. Boxed her and took her to his house. And uh, he had a sign on the front door that said, The baby is asleep. Leave packages on the door. Do not. <laughs> so I couldn't meet him. <laughs> it was oh. my disappointment. I actually 
scribbled some things yeah. on the top of the box to say hi to him, but I never got to meet him. Man, I would have, I would have just gone back. I would have taken the package home with me and gone back, however many times it took until the sign wasn't there, and then I'd be like, "Now is my chance." Yeah, it's uh, my great regret yeah. that I didn't get. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you've never met him in the intervening years. No, no. Well, <laughs> we'll we'll try and fix that. Yeah, so the continuation of Avalard and Heloise into minute seven, whenever I see a scene like this where the joke is about showing inappropriate things to children, I always think, well, did they not do that in real life when they made the movie? Was that child not traumatized? What was... You, you were there on the set. Did you have any insight as to how much the child saw or what her reaction was? She didn't see anything really at all because okay. it was it was really John Cusack holding the puppets and do manipulation because yes. none of that manipulation would exist with one puppeteer. Mm. You you need both hands to get all of this movement that I I was doing. It yeah. took two puppeteers to do the actual shot. My partner David Alexander was the number two puppeteer. We switched off. Whichever was principal puppet at, for any given scene, I was working it. And then he was working secondary puppet. Mm. Anyway, what you were seeing was was uh, John Cusack on the street just holding the puppets. And yeah. so the little girl was just standing there looking from one puppet to the other. And I love her. I love when they flash to her face and she just has <laughs> this interesting little quizzical look on her face. Uh, great. It kills me every time. Uh, <laughs> I'm in that scene too, by the way. I am no way. I Spike loves to do little funny inside jokes and yeah. he decided he wanted me to do a Hitchcock style cameo. Yeah. And so in that scene there are these passerbys watching going by the puppet show and i am one i go by and i stop and look at it for just a second and then i go on like oh wow great i couldn't care less <laughs> i will look out for that one next time so i got to watch my own puppet show the one i'm actually performing later <laughs> yeah yeah and your character was like puppets that's good yeah. stuff 